This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. Katie, are you staying warm up there? Um, no. <laughs> it was a crazy uh, wintry day. We got uh, at least six inches of snow um, just today, so it was kind of a snow globe out there, but... I'm inside now. Dry, finally. Good. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it cooled off here, too. Oh, okay. It was, uh, I thought it was 56 be... degrees, okay. I think. Okay, calm down. So <laughs> <laughs> I wore a light jacket oh. and was okay. <laughs> I wore my parka for the fourth month straight. <laughs> it was good. Oof. Yeah. yeah. Have fun with that. Yeah. We're, we're almost there, right? <laughs> Yeah. Just wanted to mention to everybody uh, that our survey that we mentioned last week in uh, episode 32 is still open. We're going to leave it open. Uh, we've received several responses, but let's see if we can get several more. Uh, we, we are, again, just trying to figure out how to help the show to grow. And so on that survey, you'll find questions relating to potential bonus content and if you'd be willing to pay for that bonus content and how much per month you would be willing to pay for that bonus content and that could be anything from bonus episodes where we play games or have more focused character discussions or anything like that or uh, what else we could have live streams of the show so you could tune into us uh, while we were recording and interact with us that way or a voicemail line all sorts of possibilities. And so if you go to that survey, fill it out, give us some ideas, let us know what you think. That would be really helpful to us. And then maybe next week, depending on response, we can share some possibilities uh, regarding what's going to happen hopefully soon. Yeah, super short survey, only what, eight or 10 questions, takes 45 seconds. Um, really, really uh, appreciate those of you who have completed it so far there's even a section on there to leave any comments you have um just in general about the show or uh about the survey itself so again appreciate those of you who have finished it uh several people so thank you so much and uh hope to hear from more of you this week well let's go ahead and jump into our discussion uh this is over episode five of The Office. It aired on October 25th of 2007, was directed by Jason Reitman, who it's worth noting is the son of Ivan Reitman, who to me is most notice, uh, most notable for directing Ghostbusters. So uh, that's cool that we have a sort of Hollywood connection directing another ep episode of The Office, including for the next one. And this episode was written by Ryan B.J. Novak. Corporate has purchased some airtime for a local commercial and has sent a production team to Scranton. Michael, of course, is horribly disappointed with the creativity, or lack thereof, of the ad and insists on making his own commercial. He enlists the help of The Office and creates a commercial, which in his head is a huge multi-million dollar project, which is, of course, unobtainable. They shoot Michael's ad, which Corporate, of course, immediately rejects, and the original ad is aired. Meanwhile, Dwight is still coping with his breakup from Angela, and Andy obtrusively brags about his conquests with her. The office heads to Poor Richard's, the local bar, to watch the ad, and Michael shows his ad that he created as well. Just starting off uh, with Michael meeting the ad guys there at the beginning, he introduces them to the office workers. So he goes to Andy, who he introduces as Nard Dog, and he sings this bad rendition of Who Let the Dogs Out by the Baja Man from Our Childhood. Baja men 
excuse me, wouldn't want to butcher <laughs> their name, <laughs> being top-notch artists. Uh, also introduces Stanley as key to their urban vibe. Uh, I'm not speaking English. Urban vibe. <laughs> and uh, Phyllis as a less urban Aunt Jemima, or a Mrs. Butterworth, as he puts it. Yeah. And then he relates the the different sizes of accountants. There's a Papa Bear, Kevin, a Mama Bear, Oscar, which Kevin thinks is really funny, and then the Baby Bear, who is Angela. And we've talked about the uh, accounting sort of being a family, except we really hadn't put it together like that. We we were more saying Oscar and Angela as a mother-father kind of situation with Kevin being the baby, which is the obvious emotional parallel. But Michael is more focused on appearances. So that's how he comes to that conclusion. He goes for the easy jab there. Yeah. Um, And then skipping ahead a little bit to the deleted scenes, there is um, an additional scene where an extended scene, rather, of Michael going around and introducing the ad guys to the office. Pam is the girl next door. Creed is just old. And Jim has an expressive face. That's his thing. I thought surely Michael would go for, oh, and Jim's the, you know, office hunk or he's the handsome guy. No, Jim is expressive. Um, And he has this bit where he says, do sad. And so Jim just kind of stares at him. No, that's not sad. That's skeptical. And that's annoyed. (laughs) (laughs) And so. uh, How very self-aware of the writers. Yeah, uh, right. For making a joke like that. Because, I mean, that's sort of the running the running gag is that Jim makes these faces at the camera. And so they're not unknown to the people actually present and only to the audience. People around him do notice it. So Michael is trying to flaunt that as Jim's primary characteristic. Yeah. I thought that was pretty funny as well. I didn't realize how like meta that would be. Um, But it was fun that they had noticed that as well. (laughs) But again, that's a deleted scene um, extended from this scene. He's just so eager for this commercial, and he's desperate to get it so perfect. And he's so desperate that he starts demeaning other people and their opinions if they don't match his vision specifically. So like at the beginning, when they're in the conference room, before the ad guys actually show up, Pan makes a suggestion, and Michael says, wow, even the receptionist is getting in on the creativity. Wow. And then uh, when he does meet the ad people and he's introduced them to everybody, he sits down with them, says, okay, I have this idea where there is this girl who is holding a flower in a field. And then you zoom out and it's actually an oasis in a desert. And you zoom out and that's actually a sandbox in a resort, zoom out, which is actually a playground in a prison. And I'm not really sure where it was going, but it's admittedly cool like this would be cool to see in a commercial and ambitious but again it's sort of aimless and it's just an example of michael thinking so over the top this is a paper company paper you were just now in 2007 coming up with the tv ad and yeah he's just thinking a little bit too pie in the sky i think and knowing michael it would be something along the lines of yeah it might start out as a paper ad and then just spiral and snowball its way into an ad for something completely unrelated and <laughs> just, um, you know, try to be some huge uh, commentary on how the world is today. And it's like, no, 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 you're, you're advertising for a paper company. <laughs> just tone it back. <laughs> um, but again, Michael just has this grandiose idea of what it should be. And um, you can't say he's not ambitious. No, you can't say that at all. Um, 
And you can't say he's not creative either, even though Ryan tries to. He calls Ryan complaining, uh, thinking that he had the whole commercial to be creative with. And ultimately, it was only the last five seconds that they <laughs> could be creative with, which is not enough room for Michael, to, to put it flatly. So Ryan says, well, that's easy. The ad guys are creative. You are not. And I actually disagree with Ryan there. Michael is has proven time and time again that he's very creative it's just that he doesn't always find the proper outlet for his creativity or sometimes his creativity just takes it in the wrong direction but i i just think ryan is wrong and is just being a little he's being a little uh pig-headed just because it's michael that he's dealing with and you sort of have to be sometimes but also because it's ryan and i, I think he's pig-headed by nature <laughs> uh but yeah i i i disagree with ryan on principle, but also in the situation. Right. I love how the ad guys say, yeah, in the last five seconds is where you really get to be creative. You could be clapping, waving, whatever you want. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) those are two very similar things. Um, And that's not at all creative. And yeah, that's not enough for Michael. And for any creative person, that's not enough at all. If you're actually really interested in, you know, making an ad, which Michael had his little heart set on doing. So, uh, yeah, kind of a bummer, but I think he overestimated Ryan's trust in him to create an entire ad as it was. So not going to happen. I did really like, though, when he finally gets in contact with David Wallace and he says, you know, I I just want to do this myself. I want to use talent that I have in my staff and we're going to make our own ad and I'm going to put my reputation on the line. So I, I really like that he wants to utilize his own employees rather than an external third party. And so he has Kelly do makeup and Oscar do costume design, obviously, <laughs> and uh, uh, Phyllis to find a celebrity. And that, that that's where it sort of falls apart because she finds out that Sue Grafton is in town. And I have no doubt she's probably a talented writer and she's probably a popular writer, but I mean, I think there's very few people who could even tell you what J.K. Rowling looked like if they saw her in a magazine or something. Right. And this is just a, a, she's not an anonymous mystery writer, but she's definitely not the author of Harry Potter. And if people can't identify the author of Harry Potter by picture, then what makes Michael or anybody think that they're going to be able to recognize Sue Grafton of all people? (laughs) It's just not. A, an attainable goal, getting a celebrity in a local ad for a local paper company. Um, And second, find somebody, I mean, recognizable. (laughs) I guess just not, it's not, right. kind of not a a winning end game here. It is kind of poetic to have an author help advertise a paper company, but... Again, people don't know Sue Grafton by face. Maybe if you were talking James Patterson, he's the guy who makes those pretentious commercials for his own books. But uh, <laughs> even then, that that's probably more unattainable because he's bigger than Sue Grafton. Right. And it's just not practical. He did enlist some pretty good talent for the ad. Um, Daryl and a couple of the others. I think there's Kevin, Creed, Kelly, and... Oh, he was the fourth. Um Somebody else. We're, uh, we're creating jingles. Um, and they're actually quite good. Did you mention good. Creed? Yeah. Creed, Kelly, Kevin, Daryl. I think that was it. That might be it. I thought there was one more, but maybe not. Um, yeah. So they're writing ding- jingles, rather. Um, and Daryl's at the keyboard. They're playing, and they're actually pretty good. 
um, mm-hmm. Michael hated them. And after the first one, <laughs> he's no, 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 I, I, I wanted something cooler, maybe a rap. And so Daryl writes um, another one, or presumably writes it, but arranges rather another one, um, which is a little bit more soulful, kind of jazzy. And Michael busts in and is just really rude. He says, I hate it. I hate it. I don't like it at all. And I get that he's passionate about his project and, you know, any good artist would be. So props to him. But come on. I mean, first of all, they're they're not a professional creative team. And second, Mm -hmm. it was pretty good. I mean, for the talent you have in-house, they did a good job. So that was a little rough. I get that song stuck in my head every once in a while. It's genuinely catchy. I like it. The first one. Michael or Stanley, James White or Creed. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fun. I I like it a lot. I like the Um, uh, people person's favorite uh, people. (laughs) Yeah. Dunder Mifflin. The people. Uh, And then the second time you have like Kevin in the background air drumming for no reason. And you have Creed to the side air guitaring for no reason. But it's fun. And again, it's in-house talent. They they put this together themselves. And that's something that I really appreciate. And it's something that in the commentary, uh, they really appreciate it as well as just sort of an idea that they came together as a family to put this together. And guess what? I think Michael's commercial is fantastic. And wouldn't you agree? I don't hate it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a little... <sighs> I don't know if cheesy is not the right word. It's a little like off topic. (laughs) It's just random. If I saw that on an actual, um, you know, commercial break for a TV show or something, I would be very confused. But for what it is, Mm -hmm. um, for him putting that together in a day and like the concept is actually pretty good. If it had a budget and had more of a storyline and more, realistic actors because there's no way Dwight is Phyllis's son um then, <laughs> yeah I mean I would buy it it's uh it's quite good and everybody is proud of it because they had a part in making it happen they're in the bar at the end of the episode when Jim has put it in and uh the real Michael Scott director's cut of the commercial Dwight uh he even grins a little bit when he has his moment to shine in the commercial and he gives a glance over to Angela and we'll We'll talk about Dwight in just a moment. Uh, Michael in the episode or in the commercial gives himself the most creative boss award at the right. end. Like Ryan, you want to tell me I'm not creative? Here's what I think about that. I just got an award for most creative boss. <laughs> and you know there are those moments of classic Michael Scott racism, like Kelly dressed in Indian garb in front of the Taj Mahal, or Stanley in an orange jumpsuit picking up trash on the side of the highway. Yeah. But even those characters, when they see themselves on the TV, they're proud and they're happy that they were a part of something and a part of this. And so it's easier to forgive than Michael's racism normally is because everybody was bought into this as a creative project that they accomplished together. And particularly Pam, who actually got to practice and utilize her own talents as a designer, as a graphic designer, uh, she designed the animation at the end. Uh, which was pretty cool. And uh, she almost got a date out of it at the bar, too. So um, <laughs> she was really proud of her work and stayed up all night. And um, even Jim said to her, like, hey, don't freak out over this because no one's going to see it. She said, I-, I know, but it's not good enough for me yet. I want it to be good. So everyone's enjoying this. And even if it was never aired, 
it sort of a team building activity, I think, and really brought them together. Well, moving on to Andy, um, he's apparently very confused by what kissing and making out are because he approaches Dwight and says, I've been spending a lot of time making out with Angela lately. And if I said to you, making out, you would picture like kissing and probably tongues because that's what <laughs> making out is. Yep. But he says, but we've been necking, not, which, but only necking, which necking right? not actually kissing. Necking is like yeah. an old old school word for kissing, right? So you would think, yeah, we were necking, uh-huh. meaning we were kissing, but he literally meant necking. <laughs> like nuzzling <laughs> our necks together. Which, ugh. <laughs> And then later on a, a, an update, they've progressed, and he says, we're making out. I'm kissing her neck and cheek and her earlobe, and she's not really kissing me back. But to Andy, that is making out. So he's sharing all this personal information with Dwight because he thinks that they're, they're buddies, they're friends. And Andy is completely clueless to these signs that Dwight really doesn't want to hear this stuff. And despite Dwight telling him, I can't hear this stuff. Uh, and it's just eating away at Dwight and it's it's painful but uh, that's just how oblivious Andy is to the situation he is so oblivious I mean I don't know anybody who picks up fewer social cues than Andy Bernard except for maybe Michael Scott (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) there's that one scene where um, right before the OD bit um, where Dwight is just he has his face pressed against the um, vending machine and is just almost sobbing yeah. into the machine when Andy's talking. And any sane person would think, oh, something's off. Like, maybe he doesn't want to hear this or maybe he's, I don't know, in a bad mood. But he just keeps talking about all of his personal life with Angela. And it's just, first of all, he and Dwight have never really been that close, so why he thinks that Dwight wants to hear this from him is odd in the first place. And then, given Dwight's reaction, like, come on, Andy. And so it's revealed that Dwight has sort of reserved into playing this game called Second Life. And it's a real thing. I looked it up. It's still around. Uh, he started it a year ago because his life was so good that he wanted a second one. And he was basically just a clone of himself in this game, except he could also fly. I mean, that sounds awesome. <laughs> but now he's so miserable in his real life that he's escaping into the second one where he has some semblance of control and even a level lower on this tier of uh, being miserable and being pathetic. His second life character created a second life in order to remove himself further from reality. They've, they've gone inception on us and he is just devoted himself to this video game because his real life is so it's, it's, it's a shambles is what it is. Yeah. It's pretty sad. Um, Jim kind of dives into second life as well to sort of stalk Dwight through the video game and see what he's up to. And Pam says, wow, he's really in pain because the fact that he spends his work day um, knowing Dwight, it's on his break, not on his work day, but he spends his time just immersing himself in this alternate reality. And uh, the fact that it's the exact same life, just slightly better, is so much sadder. 
I feel like if you were going to be playing a game like that, you would make some fantastic creation and like, oh, if I could be anything, I would be this. But his is the exact same, except he can yeah, fly. like some sort of escapism, right? right? It's it's really sad. Which is interesting because it's sort of a step back from how we saw Dwight at the end of the last episode. Uh, after Jim had sort of shared with him, you know, I, I I get what you're going through. I I left the city. I went to a complete different branch of the company because I couldn't stand being around Pam with Roy. And so I get you. I understand what you're going through. And they have that moment, or Dwight tries to have that moment, but Jim has already left. Uh, but still, it at the end of the episode, Dwight returns to the office, seeming to bounce back to his old self. But I, I guess that's just a testament here to how close he was to Angela and how much that relationship did mean to him because he's just fallen back and really fallen further than he was before into depression. Yeah. But, oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah, we had even said at the end of the last episode, we were like, okay, cool, Dwight's, Dwight's on his way back. And I had forgotten what followed. I had forgotten that this was now. And he uh, he took a big step back. I mean, but then again, they had been together two or three years. I mean, it's not going to be overnight. And I keep forgetting. I'm like, oh, come on, Dwight. But he was really in love with her. And it was a long time. But things seem to turn again for the better for Dwight when Andy Andy's uh, oversharing of information finally reveals that while he was kissing Angela's neck and face and ears or whatever he was doing uh, that he thinks was kissing she was saying O-D as in what he thinks O and D weird abbreviation but it could work I suppose I won't call Andy completely crazy for that but knowing what we know pretty obvious Angela's probably referring to Dwight Uh, so Dwight gets pretty excited and him and Andy start chanting OD together for completely separate reasons. <laughs> Andy's like, oh, yeah, Dwight is really into the fact that I'm making it further with Angela. And Dwight's thinking, oh, yeah, Angela really is still feeling something for me or still has some sort of residual feelings for me and is sort of expressing that through her relationship with Andy. So his, per- his, his spirits lived. He perks up a little bit. Uh, because there's still hope. Which, it's got to be so weird if you're Angela to even think about the fact that someone is talking about, like, your intimate moments like that with somebody in the office, and Andy doesn't know that Angela and Dwight used to date, and it's all just very creepy to me. But um, it's nice to see Dwight smile again anyway. I agree. Um, did you have any other characters you wanted to talk about? Um, no, actually, that was it. Uh, I just wanted to mention one quote, and this could go under funny moments, so we'll use it to trans- transition. But Meredith, uh, of, we have a, a slew of talking heads in a row of characters talking about why they are or are not excited for this commercial. Meredith says she's excited for the commercial, but she's not used to doing videos with so many people around. And from that, we're supposed to uh, assume, I think, that she is used to making sex tapes of some kind. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. There's Meredith. Uh, we're, yeah. we're learning more and more about her as she bears more and more of herself to us. Literally and figuratively. <laughs> Some, yeah, exactly. That's where I was about. Yeah. <laughs> um, some other funny moments. Uh, Andy, of course, can't finish the Kit Kat commercial song. This is, <laughs> it starts in the cold open, which isn't really a cold open this episode. It's, it's pretty relevant to the rest of the episode. Um, but it's, give me a break, give me a break, break me a piece of that. And he can't finish Kit Kat bar. It's, you know, applesauce or Chrysler car or whatever. He can't figure out what it was. <laughs> he eventually comes to the conclusion that it was Fancy Feast. Um, and that's what he's going with. So we never actually get to hear the end of that song. <laughs> Yep. I, I listed all of the words he used. So applesauce was first, Chrysler car, football cream, uh, lumber tar, <laughs> Snickers bar. He was close. Uh, Grey Poupon, Claude Van Damme, <laughs> hair for men, poison gas, and Nutrisweet before he finally settles on Fancy Feast. And uh, uh, they, they mention in the commentary that they must have filmed like 50 of these and a lot of them were improvised by Ed Helms as Andy. Uh and so they didn't really know what was going to make it into the final cut. So uh fun behind the scenes knowledge there. Michael, uh when he's talking with Ryan at the start of the episode, I love how Ryan has this analogy of, you know, just because you can cook doesn't mean you should open a restaurant. Michael says, I can't cook. But I'm still starting a restaurant. <laughs> he says he's going to start Mike's Cereal Shack with as many varieties as you can buy in the store. To which I'd say, well, why would they go to the Cereal Shack to presumably pay probably the price of a box of cereal for a bowl of cereal uh, when they could just go to the store and do it themselves and get more bang for their buck? But Michael isn't one to think logically. So uh, I'll let him start his restaurant because he can't cook. I am willing to bet that that restaurant is out there somewhere, you know, it's. And honestly, I would go to it. I, I mean, love cereal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got like eight boxes downstairs. <laughs> um, I love the quote between uh, Dwight and Jim. And Jim is just kind of asking about Second Life. And Dwight says, it's it's a different game. You know, it, it doesn't have winners or losers and Jim says, oh, it has losers, <laughs> um, which is a little sad given Dwight's current uh, state, but pretty funny, too. Uh, Michael wanting to prove his creativity has a, a talking head where he says, you know, when I was five, before I was even told there were such things as unicorns, I drew a picture of a horse with a horn coming out its head. I, w I was five years old, and I thought of that. He, he's so proud of the fact that he was five-year-old and invented a unicorn without knowing that they already existed because he's so creative. But a uh, little added bonus sneak peek into Michael's character, he says at five, he couldn't talk yet. <laughs> and so I was wondering if that, that says something else about Michael's difficulties with making friends. Maybe he was made fun of in his early youth because he couldn't talk or wouldn't talk or whatever it might have been. And so he's still struggling because he doesn't know how to form those proper relationships with people. I'm wondering if that's even accurate, but it's something we can't talk about yet because it's spoilers. Um, I'll try to remember this when mm -hmm. we get there, but put a pin in it. Okay. 
Um, Ryan has a call coming in, and his receptionist says, you have a call from Eddie Murphy? And um, the receptionist looks very skeptical, and Ryan immediately knows what's up and doesn't even want to take the call. You see him hesitate before he inevitably has to take it, but he knows exactly who's on the other end. <laughs> Shrek, Shrek, I'm a doctor, Shrek. <laughs> uh, when Michael and Phyllis are talking about getting Sue Grafton, uh, he does a famous Michael... Michael Scott mispronunciation where he says, okay, everybody, this would be a huge coop for the commercial. If we could get Sue Grafton into the, the commercial, a, a coop, like a car. <laughs> yeah. Just like a car. <laughs> uh, speaking of Phyllis and Sue Grafton, she is told not to take no for an answer when it comes to getting Sue Grafton to be in the ad. So she doesn't uh, good for Phyllis, I guess, but she gets thrown out of the Steamtown Mall because she didn't take no for an answer and kept bugging Sue Grafton. <laughs> uh, which isn't that funny, yeah. except it's just kind of... It just kind of is, because we don't see Phyllis in that light a whole lot. She's never that strong-willed. Um, and so she shows up back at the office just sobbing, makeup running down her face. <laughs> and it's sad, but it's also kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, she's telling the story of her encounter with Sue Grafton sort of in between gas. Uh, gasps of air while crying then michael finally asks after the story did you or did you not get sue grafton and she just sort of moans <laughs> yeah um there's a pam moment where she was talking about her animation and she says you know i worked until about two forty-five a.m and then i had to decide if i wanted to spend the night with michael editing in his office and dwight watching michael edit in his office or drive home and probably fall asleep at the wheel and die in a fiery car wreck. And she says, I passed out on my keyboard trying to decide. And the humor in that is that she couldn't decide and she fell asleep before she could. Like to some people, that was a pretty obvious decision. Like, obviously, I don't want to die in a fiery car wreck. But to her, <laughs> staying with Michael and Dwight overnight was potentially worse than driving home and potentially falling asleep at the wheel. Yeah. Uh, so I... I it's a it's a clever bit of writing there in which it's not like an explicit joke, but if you consider exactly the implication, it's pretty funny. Speaking of Pam, Michael is so anxious to hear back from corporate about his his <laughs> um his ad. He says surely they will call any minute, so he asks Pam to clear his phone lines. Now presumably Michael does not get a whole lot of phone calls because Pam does not need to clear his phone lines, but he's not gonna take no for an answer, so we just hear Beep, boop, beep, beep, boop, boop. <laughs> okay, all clear. I <laughs> love that. Yeah. Um, it, it's funny. Uh, I have some of these same quote or moments in my notes for deleted scenes. And as you start telling the story, I'm like, yeah, she's telling the same the one. Same one. And I, do I that start all the time. to laugh before you even before you even say it. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a good one. And I start to laugh, but I'm like, wait, I got to wait for her to tell it before I laugh. <laughs> it's the same reason I can't tell jokes. I always laugh. Before the punchline. <laughs> uh, Kevin says he knows what it's like to be in commercials because his nickname used to be Kool-Aid Man. And he makes this stupid smiley face like, uh, well, you weren't the Kool-Aid Man. You were just, I, I guess, made fun of because you were shaped like him. That's mean to say, but I mean, that's sort of what he's implying. That's the joke, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I already mentioned the air drumming with Kevin and also... 
just because we already mentioned this scene when Phyllis shows up after being denied by Sue Grafton, uh, Michael says, Oh, that's, that's disgusting. Give her a tissue. And Kevin has like a, uh, a roll of crepe paper. And so he tears off a, a tiny little strip of crepe paper, which is like super thin and not absorbent at all. And hands it over to Phyllis as if that's going to do anything. And it always makes me chuckle a small kind gesture, but ultimately useless. I thought it was tape. I thought it was like Is a roll. Ta- I, I don't know if it was tape or crepe paper. I thought it was crepe paper for them to hold for Andy to run through. Well, because Meredith was putting up the red, white, and blue one. And then in the commentary, oh. somebody said something about tape. Um, I don't oh, know. Oh, it might be tape then. E- even, Which is even, even more useless. <laughs> uh, I mean, crepe paper is not observant, but yeah, yeah. Tape, tape would be even worse. <laughs> tape would be so. much worse. <laughs> oh, which by the way, this is irrelevant, but I just remembered the fourth singer of the jingles. It's Andy. Oh, for some reason, I I add in my mind that you inserted Andy. Yeah, Kelly Creed, and Kevin, Andy. So I thought, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it was Andy. <laughs> <laughs> uh that's probably it for me on funny moments anyway uh i had just one or two tiny ones uh again we we mentioned the slew of characters talking about why they are or are not excited for this commercial and oscar says you know i used to want to be an actor in commercials but then i realized i had a brain which again is really self-aware because obviously an actor is playing oscar and so it's just this sort of funny, self-deprecating humor uh, that Oscars are, or that actors are making about themselves. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> and then Angela, Angela uh, says she finds the mystery genre disgusting. Talking about Sue Grafton, who's a mystery writer, because she hates being titillated. And I, I wondered, is it just because the word has tit? in it like is is she so prudish that she just doesn't want that association but to be fair to angela i did look it up and titillated does have a certain sexual connotation to it so uh if she doesn't like getting titillated that's that's her prerogative i suppose i didn't put that together at all i was thinking um that she just kind of pulled the word titillated out of thin air regarding uh the mystery genre but it's a weird word anyway, so I can see why she wouldn't yeah. want to be titillated as it was. So anyways, moving on to deleted scenes, uh, we have an extended conference room scene at the beginning before the ad guys show up and the company is uh, brainstorming ideas for the commercial. And Toby has the idea of having a slow motion ad because people usually fast forward through their, com- excuse me. Because people usually fast forward through their commercials, so a slow-mo ad would appear normal and catch the eye. And so he says the slogan could be, Nunder Mifflin, we adjust to the pace of your business. That was a really bad Toby accent, but I I think it's (laughs) funny anyways. Uh, (laughs) And so Michael, who was just uh, saying, there's no bad ideas, no bad ideas, everybody contribute something. He says, well, that's a bad idea. And Toby says, you know, Michael, I did three years of advertising before I joined here. Michael says, well, maybe that's why all ads suck. <laughs> so uh, Toby just can't catch a break. Which that ad is kind of genius. I mean, while there yeah, wouldn't be I any mean, sounds, definitely... like, it'd be really cool. Yeah, I, I, I wonder if you could go on like YouTube or something and see if people have experimented with stuff like that, because I think it would be cool. I don't know how it would work in, prog- or in practice, because 
you know, most of the times you fast forward through a commercial. It's not like the days of VHS where uh, it was a smooth fast forward. Now mm. everything's digital. And so you skip forward like 10 frames, 20 frames at a time. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. It's still a cool idea. But, but anyways, yeah. But it might have worked then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I liked the one where Pam is working on her um, on her animation for the ad and she's using a design program that has a drawing tablet that you can plug into your computer and draw and it'll work on the program but every time she plugs the tablet into the computer the computer crashes and she said it's like the company knows i'm trying to do something to expand myself <laughs> it's like dunder mifflin is just i, I like that scene go ahead go ahead oh it's it's like dunder mifflin is trying to keep her in this little box and not letting her grow or develop as a person at all I like that scene because it explains to us how Pam got experience with creating animations, you know, <laughs> because previously I, Pam had no like formal art training. There was talk of that program up in New York. Uh, and I, I guess she has been, it was mentioned at the beginning of season three uh, that she had started taking classes, but this just sort of, revisits that idea and tells us oh by the way yeah she's taking a computer animation course which is why she's able to do animations and stuff like that right uh more of the introductions that uh, that michael gives the ad people he says pam is their girl next door she's pretty but nothing special and of course he says that right in front of her uh creed gets an introduction he says he can be their orville redenbacher dynamic so just the the old quirky guy who's sitting around in the back uh but if not just uh make him disappear he doesn't have to be in it at all <laughs> uh. um there's a jim talking head where he is talking about Michael's creativity. He says Michael is on a mission to prove that he's creative, which is odd because he might be the most creative person I've ever met. Um, he says things and thinks things every day that no one has ever thought or said before, <laughs> which um, is a good way to look at Michael's creativity. He um, is probably a very creative person, but not necessarily in the right way, I guess. <laughs> Well, speaking of Michael and Jim, uh, Michael is trying to brainstorm ideas with Jim, and Jim is sitting behind Michael's desk. Jim or Michael is uh, standing towards the the door exiting to the office. And so Michael says, "Okay, let's try this. First, we zoom out and we reveal that we're actually in ancient Rome." Jim turns that down. Then he says, "Okay, it's a spaceship shooting out of a woman's uterus," and Jim says, "No, we, we definitely can't do that." Michael starts to actually sort of lose his temper. And the funny thing is he takes on the position of the employee and starts throwing stuff off of Michael's desk, his own desk, uh, just because he's sitting on the other side of it. And he threatens to walk. And Jim says, okay, well, I'm just going to call Andy to direct instead. And so he picks up Michael's phone, starts to make the call. Michael then begs Jim to let him continue and make the commercial. And then, uh, Michael exits, asks Jim, do you want this door open or closed? And Jim says closed. And so Michael or Jim just basically commandeers Michael's office through tricking Michael via this weird role play. And I don't think that there were too many more ads or not ads, <laughs> deleted scenes. Um, there's one with Michael in the conference room, kind of a 
extension or alternate scene where Michael um, announces that they're going to do an ad. He asks for more applause and Dwight says, well, yeah, we already applauded. Like it just kind of an odd one. Um, and then Michael talks about, he doesn't want Daryl to do the music because he is concerned about having, this is verbatim. I'm reading this. So I want to make sure I get this right. Cause it's very odd. I'm concerned about having a black person do the music because that could create a positive stereotype that could then become a, uh, sorry, pardon my, Ignorance here. Celestine. Celestine prophecy. Thank you. And keep the next Bon Jovi from ever picking up a piano. And he just spits it out like it's something that's been in his head already. And yeah, um, those are our deleted scenes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. T- to be fair, I think Celestine is another Michael Scottism because okay. I think the word he meant is clandestine. Uh, <laughs> Celestine, I think, is actually like a gem or a crystal of some kind. Uh, so clandestine would be like destined to be or uh, okay. something like that. I, I I think he meant something else and just said the wrong word. Eh, probably accurate. Uh, yeah, uh, one or one or two more, just real quick ones. Kevin hopes that Stacy, his previous fiance, uh, will see the commercial and come crawling back. So confirmed. the The last we'd heard, they were at Poor Richards, and. Uh, Kevin said it's complicated, his relationship with Stacy. And so now we actually have confirmation they're split up. And then he further confirms that it's because he forgot to pick her up from the airport. Probably among other things, if I had to guess. But it seems he forgot to to pick her up from the airport and that was the last straw. And so he and Stacy are no longer together. Um, and then one more. Jim, at the very end of the deleted scenes, puts Dwight's rocket launcher in Second Life in jello <laughs> which is just perfect he, dwight said who, who put my rocket launcher in jello <laughs> very um meta again he got to um got to kind of sorry that made no sense anyway goodness gracious okay <laughs> uh we did have a commentary on this uh, as well let's kind of breeze through that because we do have a lot more to talk about with the second episode um ed helms as we said had to improvise the kit kat bar bit pretty much every time um there was a bit that bj novak said um about michael thinking that urban is a synonym for black which is really kind of true because every time he talks about stanley he calls him urban Stanley says, I grew up in a small Mm -hmm. town. What kind of urban do you think I am? And then he says that Phyllis would be a less urban Aunt Jemima. And as BJ Novak says, Aunt Jemima is not urban. (laughs) If if urban means city, which it does, then she's not urban. She's from a small town as well. So he really just thinks that urban means black. They told us that the Second Life stuff wasn't animated. It was actually done and lived out in the game. Like I said, it's a real thing. It's a real game or experience, whatever you want to call it. And so they treated it just like a normal scene where they had people on on, on computers actually, quote, acting out the, uh, the, the actions in the game. And then the best takes of them acting out the actions in the game made it into the episode. So that's really cool that it wasn't like an animation company that came in and animated this the way they wanted it for the episode. They actually had to create it in the game itself and record it that way. 
Uh, the guy in the commercial that ended up airing um, is an actor that Jason Reitman, the director of this episode, had used in every single project he's ever done, which is impressive alone. Uh, and he managed to work him into this project as well. So I can't imagine being that actor and just knowing you have steady work. That's got to be great. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. and along those same lines, the guy who wrote the salsa music for the commercial also wrote the music for Juno, which Jason Reitman directed. Uh, his name is Matteo Messina. So cool little tidbit there. And speaking of music, um, the the first jingle, the one that we were kind of singing earlier, um, was written by B.J. Novak's brother. The second was written by Craig Robinson, who plays Daryl. Yeah, that's awesome. Because Craig Robinson's really talented. He is very talented, yeah. Uh, this was probably, or possibly my favorite fact from the, the commentary, was that they shot the Michael Ryan phone conversation simultaneously on the two different sets from Michael's and Ryan's offices. Uh, so they actually, Jason Reitman, the director could only be with one of them. He ended up being with Steve uh, Carell and they filmed that at the same time in two different places and then put it together. So you have actual like phone conversation, which is hard to just act. You have to have that back and forth. And so it works really well for that reason. Yeah, they do a whole lot of phone calls on this show, of course, because it's set in an office, in case you haven't noticed. And um, they, <laughs> I, I wonder why, for some of them, they choose to film simultaneously and some separately. It's really interesting. I'd, I'd love to kind of be a fly on the wall and, and learn why they choose one over the other in different scenarios. But it gets the job done. So anything else you wanted to add about the commentary? Um, just one or two small things. The 10 days later at the end of the episode is pretty much the first time jump in the show, or at least within a single episode. And they were a little worried that it was going to be jarring being the first time, but they, they thought it worked out pretty well. And I agree. Yeah, it was smooth. Um, yeah, Creed Bratton was in this commentary and he said, you know, I actually used to play at the pub that they're in at the end. The, the one that they filmed at, not the actual poor Richards in Scranton. Uh, this would have been in California. And then Dwight's uh, You Have a Son and It's Me sign that he shows to Phyllis within the commercial originally read, Your Son is Not Dead. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I think that the first one, ends, or the not the first one, the one that made it into the commercial is definitely more Michael Scott than simply Your Son is Dead. And that's why it's a little awkward that it's Dwight going to Phyllis as a son uh, because it's just a sort of Michael Scottism kind of thing. Right. Well, uh, I have the discussion topic, actually, for this episode, and what it is is, of course, a BuzzFeed quiz, which are always so much fun. I thought we would go through and figure out which character from The Office we are. Uh, of course, I will post this link okay. on all of our social media, so you can also learn which, um, which episode, or rather, which character you are. With the caveat that it might be a character that technically doesn't exist yet. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. I haven't. But we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. We'll, it, let's hope it's the uh, classic We're doing egg. this live. Yeah. So yeah. here we go. So first is uh, pick a paper. There's several options. And I am going to pick cardstock. I was going to pick cardstock, too. Uh, nice well, and. We could both pick cardstock. We'll have that's, different choices yes. later. Oh, it was a happy. It was a happy. Happy double coincidence. 
Uh, pick a home. <laughs> there's things like a barn. There's some. There's a lighthouse. There's an airplane. Something that looks like a frat house, and some more traditional looking houses. I'm gonna pick that top left one. I think. Hmm. I'm going to pick the one in the dead middle. Yeah, that was just mine. sort of like a, a bigger mansiony kind of thing. Yeah, but not too, too big. Not, not not too crazy. How will you probably die? <laughs> and there's several ridiculous options here. Hmm. Gotta gotta stay true to myself. I'm gonna say probably hmm. in my exhaustion. <laughs> I'm gonna say probably in my sleep. Morbidity would tell me I'm a car accident, but I want to hope it's yeah. it's in my sleep. Exhaustion is another possibility. <laughs> Pick one thing in your freezer. Uh, We've got things like steak and ice cream, frozen meals. Money is an option. I'm going to go with ice cream. I think I'm going to go with the, the beef in the top left. Yeah. I've got some frozen hamburger meat that I need to thaw out and cook some some stuff with uh next you got what got you in trouble during high school hmm honestly really... i've got to oh, go the, the goody goody route and say yeah. i didn't get in trouble i really didn't except for maybe the occasional <laughs> um you know slap on the wrist for talking maybe if i got in trouble it would be for talking so i'll say that yeah I think I got most of my troublemaking done in elementary school, but it was only just a couple small things every once in a while. Like, oh, you didn't turn in your planner or have it signed right, when yeah. it was supposed to. In which case, my mom worked in the front office, and so I just walk it down the hallway and get it signed <laughs> and bring it back. But uh, anyways, uh, let's see. What's next? Pick a condiment. You got some classics. Um, we also have things like wasabi, apple cider vinegar. I'm going to go with Dijon mustard, I think. I don't like any of these. Um, I'm not much of a condiment person. When I do, I stick to ketchup. Maybe like... And that's not an option. Olive oil for like... I don't know. That's pretty Yeah, neutral. I think olive oil is probably the best option there. Um, pick a career actor Done. well i guess i'll just Easy. stick sort of with what i've got i've got professor uh i'm a teacher i'm not quite university level but uh pick a desk we've got an assortment here i'm gonna go for the neatest one the tidiest one because goals <laughs> am i supposed to pick the desk that i want to have or the desk that i do have <laughs> if you pick the one you do have there's tidy. the cat <laughs> Oh, there is a cat. There's oh, a cat. I think that's you, a possibility. you probably got to pick the cat. Um, let's see. I think I'm actually going to pick the top left one. Uh, is that the one you picked? That is. It's very aesthetically pleasing. Oh, well. <laughs> you can pick it. We can have a similar desk. Oh, the the the, the middle the middle bottom one has a a cushy chair next to it. It does. So I'm going to count that that's as nice. part of the desk. <laughs> what are you? Worst uh, what are you at worst at dealing with? Ooh. I think between it's it's probably between stupidity and rudeness for me. I'm going to say rudeness because I work in I'm gonna restaurants. I'm going to say noise because I'm a teacher mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> at a middle school. Eesh, yeah. I'd pick a party theme. This is interesting. Um, oh, I see a crawfish boil. Yeah, I'm going for crawfish. <laughs> uh. Oh, 
know I have my answer. Let's see. Oh, man. What did you get? I'll tell tell me what what you pick first. Oh, let me let me get mine first and I don't know. Party thing. I'm probably just going to go with the the T in the top right. Yeah, that was a good It's very Angela. Okay. Okay. Who did you get? Andy Bernard. Oh, I got Daryl Philbin. Oh, okay. That's that's better. <laughs> let, let, let's read our descriptions. Apparently, I am an attention seeker and tend to perform even when I don't mean to. You may enjoy the benefits of privilege and you may be sensitive to those around you. Or, sorry, you try to be sensitive to those around you. Okay, well. Not all bad not being all bad. sensitive to those around you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. You're ambitious and chase your dreams even when others try to stand in your way. Though you work incredibly hard, you also have a playful nature and love to laugh. Okay, well, that's just clearly better. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Craig Robinson is just like staring into my soul in this accompanying <laughs> picture. Uh, anyways, that was fun. That was fun. We'll post that. Episode six of season five is Branch Wars. It aired on November first, November first, two thousand and seven. Was directed by Joss Whedon, uh, back again, and written by Mandy Kalig. Wow, and written by Mindy Kalig. Uh, we hear from Karen Filippelli for the first time since the premiere of season four, uh, and we now learn that she accepted the position of regional manager for the Utica branch of Dunder Mifflin. And the episode opens with her talking to an unnamed Scranton branch employee about transferring to her branch. Uh, And it is revealed that that employee talking to Karen about moving is Stanley Hudson. And Michael fears that Karen is seeking revenge on the Scranton branch in order to pay back Jim for breaking up with her. So... He decides to take Dwight with Jim in tow to Utica to sabotage Karen to stop Stanley from leaving, which I mean, that sounds a whole lot more convoluted than it actually is. Basically, Michael just gets jealous that Stanley wants to go elsewhere and tries to do something about it. So, yeah, um, a pretty direct episode. Actually, both of these are. Um, This one has a little bit more, particularly for Jim. This is a big Jim episode. Um. Because, again, yeah, we're getting to see Karen. And, of course, he's with Pam now, so there's that little bit of tension. Uh, to start off with, just with Michael, as we usually do, uh, he thinks, as I mentioned, that Stanley is leaving Utica because Karen is trying to seek revenge or uh, getting back at Jim for dumping her. And what's interesting about that is he, I would... As a boss, consider, okay, why is Stanley leaving? Not why is Karen poaching Stanley or taking Stanley from us? Like, focus on the person who's actually leaving. And as a boss, I would consider, well, am I providing a happy work environment for him? Am I paying him enough? Am I doing my responsibility to him as a boss? But Michael isn't that self-aware, at least (laughs) not at the moment, not in this sort of circumstance. And so he's trying to find something external to blame. And that is Karen in this chance, and by extension, Jim. And of course, Michael knows Karen, so I think if this was another branch whose manager he did not know as well, this would not be such a big deal, but he knows Karen, and it's personal, and he knows Jim, and um, yeah, this clearly has to be Jim's fault, because he, he starts asking about their sex life, and like, 
is this the reason why she's taking Stanley? No, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the fact that they're offering him more money. It's really nothing to do with Jim. Not at all. And he, he tries to negotiate with Karen over the phone. He says, uh, you can have my best man. Take Toby. And he starts to compliment Toby, but even to get rid of him, Michael can't stand to compliment him. So he, he drops that, says, nope, Toby is the worst, and says, uh, well, can you patch me to one of your salesmen, the best one? And Karen just hangs up on him because, of course, she's not going to hand over the phone. I kind of wish she had, though, because that would have shown to me that Karen is so confident that nobody's going to leave her competent managerial style in favor of Michael's less competent managerial style. Karen even says, yeah, I'm I'm regional manager now. It's a pretty easy gig when your boyfriend isn't in love with somebody else and your boss isn't a total idiot. <laughs> it's... um. Yeah. Yeah, she's pretty direct to the point. I'm sure she's a good boss. Um fewer distractions over there. And Michael, thinking that he has to retaliate in some way, decides the best course of action is to pay a visit to Utica and sabotage them, apparently. Uh he I don't know exactly what they had in mind. Uh Jim said something about the like a, a safety poster or something like that. I don't remember specifically. Uh but Michael says, we are going to make Karen wish that she had never been dumped by you. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> she probably already wished that for a bit after the breakup. As she reveals later, yeah, I cried for weeks over, or, over that guy. Uh, so that uh, Michael's just not thinking clearly. Uh, Most people don't enjoy surprise. being dumped. It's, it's not a really fun activity. No, no. <laughs> I'm sure she does wish that. <laughs> um, but in Michael's defense... It's stupid what he and Dwight do, but he has a quote that I do think attests to Michael's love for his employees. He says, you know, at least we care enough about our employees that we are willing to fight for them. And uh, he actually chokes up a little bit when, after he's returned back to Scranton, he sort of gives Stanley his blessing to leave. Uh, he, he starts to choke up. He cries a little bit. And then he and Pam... Uh, he enlists Pam to help him write a want ad for a new sassy black man for the office with a big butt, bigger heart. <laughs> um, so he, he's he's trying to hold on to the people he knows and loves. And so I, I can't completely fault him for that, but I can totally fault him for how far he takes it. And there's no need to go to Utica and like what's essentially a, what do they call it? A panty raid? <laughs> it's just like, mm -hmm. just causing chaos and pushing a copier down the stairs like that's not gonna accomplish anything and um you also all work for the same company it's not a huge yeah. um betrayal by any means if you're gonna be offered more money it's like yeah that's the smart thing to do and you're still staying loyal to the company stanley's totally in his right i think karen's totally in her right um michael's just being michael and overreacting he and Dwight trick Jim into going along. They tell him it's a sales call for Staples, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but they reveal on the way, surprise, we're actually going to Utica, panty raid. Uh, Jim doesn't want to confront Karen. Uh, it, I mean, it was a sort of a rough breakup, just considering that he was getting back with an old flame, if you want to call Pam an old flame. Uh, 
is no, I just don't, I don't want to talk to my old girlfriend. Like that's not something that sounds fun to me. So he tries to get out of it by calling Pam and Dwight literally throws his phone out the window. Uh, overreaction. I don't know if, if somebody, I mean, obviously phones are a lot more expensive now than they were then and a lot more advanced than they were then. He's got a little flip phone, but still that's somebody's property that you just threw out the window. Uh, I don't, I don't get that, but it is Dwight. Um, and so he ends up going along with them in order to prevent them doing stupider things than they end up doing, like throwing Molotov cocktails, which Dwight pulls out of the trunk, or bombs. Uh, they were, I don't know what exactly they had in mind, but it was clearly a lot more severe than uh, trying to steal a copy machine. Yeah, they were driving around with Molotov cocktails already assembled in the back of a truck or in the back of a car. And Jim says, like, are you serious? We've been driving around with this. It's incredibly dangerous. And Dwight, being Dwight, of course, runs to cause as much chaos as possible and um, probably would have, you know. And, and later on in the episode, they even say, if you hurt a, head, if you hurt a hair on Stanley's head, we're going to burn you to go to the ground. They're very um, violent about all of this. They're very protective yeah. of Stanley, at least. Andy, well, to, to start off, Pam with Oscar and Toby have founded something they call the Finer Things Club. Oscar says, uh, aside from having sex with men, this is probably the gayest thing I do. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and it, it's, yeah, I do too. It, it's focused on basically discussing literature and art and drinking tea and using fancy china and a tablecloth. And it seems strange. Like, are they using their their break time to do this? Or I don't know. It just seems like a weird thing to do on company time. But I guess when Michael Scott is your boss, you can have a little bit more leeway with things like this. Sure. But Andy, being Andy, really wants to be a part of it. Uh, he says it's the most exclusive club in the office. And he just seems like the kind of guy who needs to be in exclusive clubs. <laughs> it feels the desire to be in exclusive clubs. But he's turned down. And we get more answers to that in deleted scenes. But uh, Andy's turned down and Jim is turned down at first as well. And yeah, he, he really wants to be in the club. Jim does. Um, doesn't really understand why he can't be. Care, uh, Pam says, certain people think that you would monopolize the conversation by trying to be funny. And Jim correctly guesses, uh, is that Oscar? And then he is eventually admitted into the club. Uh, I feel like it's probably only temporary. I feel like he's probably kicked out because he immediately starts doing all these silly accents and dressing up <laughs> like in the time period of the book that they're reading and didn't even read the book and just, you know, being Jim. Um, and Pam's a little embarrassed of him at that point. Yeah, she mouths sorry to Oscar and Toby because <laughs> she's embarrassed that Jim is just sort of half-heartedly participating. Uh, but anyways, Andy is upset that Jim is allowed in and we do get more answers to why Andy wasn't allowed in the deleted scenes, which are getting too soon. Uh, but circling back to the whole Stanley going to Utica storyline, he says, you know, I only wanted to go to Utica or I was only pretending to go to Utica because I wanted a raise, but apparently Michael called my bluff. I wonder if he's some sort of secret genius. <laughs> He just sort of chuckles to himself and he says, sometimes I say crazy things. 
Yeah, he... Uh... Stanley just doesn't seem like the kind of guy to get up and leave. Even if he does want to raise, I, I he's at the age and has the demeanor that I think he would just... He's just going to stick with that chair and that desk and that company until it's time to retire. Yeah. And he, you know, he's yeah. just sort of, that sort of guy. He's been saying he has kids to put through college. Now's not the time to just up and, you know, move states. So I would be surprised if he had moved. Um, but as he said, he was just kind of leveraging a, a raise at, at, uh, at Scranton. So. so Jim, of course, going back to him and um, Utica has been roped into this whole situation. He is now on the way to Utica, tricked into this trip. Um, he, after they throw his phone out of the car, he says, I'm just going to call a cab. Dwight and Michael start, you know, oh, you're really going to miss out. We have all these fun pranks. And a little gear turns in Jim's head and says, wait, what are you going to do? And he agrees to go along if they won't pull these pranks. Um, and so he's in the car, they're going, but he has to dress up, um, as a warehouse worker. He has Madge's, um, warehouse uniform, which Madge is, of course, a woman. And they all have mustaches, fake mustaches on. And it's just this ridiculous trip to Utica. Um, and Jim decides to stay in the car and he's going to walkie-talkie them through this whole situation because there's no way he's going in. So, of course, who does he run into in the parking lot except Karen? Uh, he is hiding in the car and has the window rolled down. And Karen, I guess, is coming back from something, lunch or a meeting or something. And he hears, or she hears her name being said over a walkie-talkie in Jim's car. So she finds him. She does. And uh, she she says in a talking head, you know, I cried for weeks over that guy. And so it did me a lot of it gave me a lot of satisfaction to see my ex-boyfriend crawling out of a PT cruiser uh, dressed in a woman's warehouse uniform wearing a fake mustache. She said, yeah, that, that made me feel good <laughs> <laughs> because it's sort of a, a pathetic position for for Jim. Uh, it, it doesn't put him in a good light. He appears to be up to the same old same old as far as pranks go and when she pulls him aside and sort of confronts him after she's chastised michael and dwight she holds jim behind and says so you're still doing these same old things uh you know if you just wanted to see me you could have just been an adult and called me on the phone and jim just trips all over himself and says oh i didn't want to see you uh well not that i'm not happy seeing you now but you know, it's just that uh, uh, Pam and I are happy. We're, we're, we're going good. Our re- relationship's great. So because things are going so great, I didn't necessarily want to see you. And he just like is, is putting his foot in his mouth. He's digging these holes for himself to climb into and bury himself. It is, it's awkward is, is what it is. It's real awkward. And she is so glad to mention or to, to know of how successful his and Pam's relationship is after their painful breakup. And it's not like she broke up with Jim. Jim broke up with her and then came to Utica to, you know, as far as she knows, just talk about how good his life is going. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to hear it. She's like, I just thank you. Thank you so much for this. And then, you know, she's rightfully kind of pissed. 
And he says, I'm just going to go because of traffic. She's like, yeah, go. Go because of traffic. Just that's, yeah, that's great. Thank you, Jim. She's she's pretty, <laughs> pretty unhappy. And she expects this of Michael and Dwight. But she's a little, I think, disappointed with Jim here. I can't help but wonder why Jim doesn't try to sort of explain how he got roped into this. But I also wonder if Karen would have believed him. Not necessarily any slight on her. Uh, or how spiteful she might be because of the breakup or anything like that. But it is sort of a far-fetched tale. They did have a painful breakup, so there's no telling how she would have taken the truth. And so Jim just, rather than make excuses, just sort of accepts the 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 stern looks and speech and criticism and decides to, yep, okay, that's that, let's go. Going on to funny stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's the the cold open where Michael has set up a dummy at his desk to look like him asleep so that he can slip away from the office. And he tells Dwight that he'll be spending most of his time with Ryan. So that renders the dummy unnecessary if he's spending time with his boss or his boss would know that he's spending time out of the office. Like, Michael's not thinking clearly. Duh. That's not the first time this episode I've said that. And Stanley even sums it up correctly, saying, I don't understand how you sleeping at your desk is better than you not being here. True. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Um, and it's not even, I mean, for an amateur, it's a really decent dummy, but it's still not lifelike. Um, but no. Michael, of course, assumes it is and is very, very proud of his of his creation. So um, this is more of a cold open than the last episode. This is a come back into the episode in any way but uh still pretty pretty fun to see him play around like that one of my favorite moments of the episode michael is on the phone with um the best utica salesman uh pam finds his name <laughs> and gets michael on on the line with him and the guy immediately says wait aren't you the guy who hit that woman with your car pam who's still sitting there uh, and this guy's on speakerphone starts very quietly laughing and Michael just says, get out. <laughs> and she wordlessly just <laughs> leaves. He's so unimpressed with her with her chuckling. Uh, the getting pinned to the wall by the industrial copier gag is so funny. But I don't think it would be as funny if we saw it. And so our, our only interaction with Michael and Dwight uh, getting pinned to the wall by this giant machine is them over the walkie-talkie reacting to getting pinned to the wall by this gigantic machine. <laughs> and so it's so funny as they argue with Jim over whether he should go save himself, which is what Dwight says, or stay and help, which is what Michael says. And then Karen shows up. And Michael says, take her to a motel, make love to her, <laughs> I, I guess as, an, as a distraction so that they can find a way out of this. I, I don't know what Michael's plan was. And there's a deleted scene where uh, Michael sort of uh, scorns Jim for not taking her to a motel and making love to her off. And he says, how, how hard could that have been? Uh, that's what she said, I suppose. Uh, Pam, he, he, <laughs> he says, Pam would have done it. I don't think she would have, Michael, but I, no, no, whatever you want to think to make yourself sleep better at night. Michael walks in on the Finer Things Club and is talking about Utica and Stanley and all of that. And he turns around and Toby has just entered the break room on his way to the Finer Things Club. <laughs> and he's in his normal office garb, except he's now wearing a slightly shiny, big, huge bow tie. 
And Michael just makes direct eye contact with the bow tie and just goes, oh, <laughs> oh, my, my God. <laughs> that is why people are leaving. I have no words. <laughs> He's just so awestruck by this bow tie and it has so much hate for Toby. It's really, once again, sad and funny. There's a moment in the episode where Dwight starts to pee in a soda can in the back seat to relieve himself without having to pull over the car. And uh, this is something I don't think you notice unless you're looking for it, knowing that the pee in the can moment is coming. Because I noticed this time that there's a moment where he decides to pee in the can. Hmm. It's in the background. Jim and Michael are talking and you see him look down, grab the can, and he just sort of holds it in front of his face for a second. It's like, yeah, I'm going to do this. <laughs> and then he drops it between his legs, and that's when the scene happens. And it, it's, it's so funny. If you look for it, there's just that split second where he's like, okay, let's do this. I missed that. That's <laughs> funny. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to reiterate. I just wanted to reiterate again this amazing quote. Uh, one of the great Michael Scott quotes. Wanted. Middle-aged black man with sass. Big butt. Bigger heart. <laughs> uh, one of the greats, for sure. Um, Dwight has this strange fascination in this episode with, uh, doing things to people's eyes. He wants to stab them with a stick of chalk. And then he says, okay, well, I'll just crush up the chalk and blow it in their eyes. And Jim says, Dwight, nothing with the eyes, please. (laughs) And then cut to a talking head with Dwight where he says, the eyes are the groin of the head. Well, I suppose that's not far off uh, yeah <laughs> I, I don't want to think of <laughs> eyes as groins though yeah um i prefer not to think about that at all um but i can see where he's going <laughs> i just want to highlight jim uh trying to play it straight faced when karen shows up at the, at the car uh but again he's wearing the ladies warehouse uniform fake mustache he's sitting in a pt cruiser uh He's just trying very, he's trying to play it cool with Karen and he still has a radio turned up and Michael's saying stupid things and, uh, don't Jim, don't tell Karen about the, the industrial copier. And he says, copy that. And he just sort of stupidly smiles up at Karen. That's so funny. Uh, but I just wanted to mention the PT cruiser real quick. I guess Michael got the, the PT cruiser maybe after selling the Porsche because, you know, he said back in what what episode I'm trying to remember the episode title. I know it was just a couple episodes ago. It was money. It's just called money uh, where he, they had gotten rid of the two cars and only gotten the Porsche. And we were making fun of how that didn't make financial sense. So maybe the last we'd heard about him discussing money was with Jan in the train yard where she said she'd stay by his side. So maybe they've made steps in the right direction gotten rid of the stupid Porsche or the expensive Porsche rather and gotten a PT cruiser. You know, he's had a lot of cars. I just realized he also had the Sebring. Yeah. The Sebring was a company lease. Yeah. Um, so several in, in four seasons, that's, uh, three cars so far, possibly four so far. Yeah. Uh, last funny moment I want to mention, it's not even that funny, but I quote it all the time. So I've got to say it. Uh, there's a moment when the Finer Things Club is meeting 
and Kevin is struggling with the vending machine and making all kinds of noise. And then Phyllis walks in and she's trying to make some popcorn in the microwave. And <laughs> she's apparently struggling with that as well, pushing a whole bunch of buttons when most microwaves just have a popcorn setting or you press four buttons to put in the time and click start, whatever. But uh, Phyllis or Pam says, why don't you just use the, the, uh, the microwave in the kitchen? She says somebody somebody needs to clean it. it smells like popcorn. Popcorn. And the way she so the, the way she says popcorn, I quote that all the time. Someone needs to clean it. It smells like popcorn. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's, it's something about the way she says popcorn. Popcorn. That I I always say it when popcorn is in the immediate vicinity. I suppose uh, it's a funny little thing. I'm glad you noticed that too, because that one always made me laugh. <laughs> popcorn. Popcorn. <laughs> Uh, moving on to some deleted scenes, only a few for me. I know we're uh, stretching time on this episode, but we're back to the two, two episodes per. So um, Andy being rejected from the Finer Things Club, he is just so adamant on like being accepted by everybody. Um, he included a recommendation letter from Rick Santorum, former U.S. Senator, which would have been, I mean, way over the top, but actually really impressive, except there was no letter of recommendation. It was just three $50 bills. <laughs> um, he's basically bribing them into letting him join the club. So they waitlisted him, but they said basically that he is welcome to contribute financially if he so chooses. <laughs> and he's psyched by that. Yeah. That's the funny part is that he's like, oh man, I got waitlisted. And he reveals that he got into Cornell off of a waitlist. And he says, it's not because my dad donated a building. It's because I'm smart. Because I'm smart enough to have a dad who donates buildings to things. <laughs> uh, he didn't have any control over that. No. But yeah, sure, you're smart enough to have that. It was Toby who was against having Andy, Andy and the Finer Things Club uh, in the first place. He said he just likes the three of them and doesn't want it to change. Um, I have one more about the Finer Things Club while we're on it. Um, okay, go ahead. Angela has a talking head about how the Finer Things Club is an unsanctioned and therefore a dangerous club. She also squashed the weight loss buddy group. Apparently, them gathering together was gross. Yikes. Yeah, that that's awful. That's awful. <laughs> but I like how that, she that, thinks That's that so petty of her. It, oh. It really is. But I like her talking about how unsanctioned clubs are dangerous. <laughs> Jim calls Pam after receiving his phone off the side of the highway to tell her about how the sales call was a prank and that he's going along with them to prevent the worst from happening. And she starts teasing him about wanting to see or talk to Karen. So this is one of those deleted scenes I'm actually kind of glad was cut because it's it's just weird. Oh, I liked it. Uh, and You do? Uh, I mean, she has a talking head about how they joke about it. Uh, she says, you know, I'm not, I'm not a jealous girlfriend, so I don't, I don't care if they see each other. And she admits that she cares a little. I don't. It just seems weird to me. I, I don't like the teasing. It, it just. I mean, we were complaining about Karen doing it. Yeah. And, well, she wasn't teasing in the last season. True. But she was doing that same sort of thing. Like, I don't know. Just not comfortable with Jim and Pam being friends, and now Pam is sort of doing it the other way. Uh, I mean, it's not that big a deal. It's a deleted scene, but I didn't miss it in the episode. Yeah. Personally, she's saying so. She's teasing Jim. He says, well, I don't want to get it physically harmed. Like, I want to go hang out and make sure, you know, they don't do anything stupid. 
And Pam says, oh, is that because you love her? You love her very much? And then at the very end of their phone call, it's have fun with your girlfriend. And it's all, (laughs) I think, very innocent. But anybody who's been in a relationship and, like, your partner is going to see their ex. I don't think anybody's thrilled about that. But, like, you're, you know, you're hopefully secure enough that it doesn't really bother you. Um and I hope it doesn't really bother Pam. I don't think anybody just loves the idea, but eh. I didn't miss it in the episode. I just didn't hate it. <laughs> well, we can use that to transition into our discussion topic. Uh I thought it would be fun slash embarrassing, I don't know, <laughs> to talk about an awkward or embarrassing encounter with a potential or former love interest, just like Jim has with Karen in this episode. So starting off, Katie, what do you got? <laughs> um, nothing super embarrassing, but definitely something awkward. Um, super recently, uh, it was actually in fourth grade, so pretty sensitive um, material right here. Pretty pretty scarred from it still. <laughs> Um, I was not the world's most popular or coolest kid growing up. Uh, I know, big surprise. Um, but I was thrilled to be asked to the school dance by, like, the school's most popular guy. It was so exciting. Let's protect his identity and call him Dylan. So he (laughs) asks me to the dance, um... And I was so excited, and I go home, and I tell my parents, and everything's very exciting. I'm going to finally be popular. And I go to school the next day, and I say hi to Dylan, and he says, Ew, why are you talking to me? And I said, well, we're going to the dance. He goes, oh, you thought I was serious? Oh, no. I know. Brutal. Um, Yeah, and that was in the cafeteria at lunch in front of everyone. So thanks, quote, unquote, Dylan. (laughs) (laughs) um yeah yeah it was formative let me tell you (laughs) (laughs) well that sort this sort of puts me on the other end of that um (laughs) in eighth grade i had a quote girlfriend uh we never saw each other outside of school or did anything that would make us boyfriend girlfriend except we said it but anyways uh we had a school dance uh in eighth grade and we, I don't remember exactly how it came about, but I, I feel awful, uh, ended up breaking up with her the day of the school dance oh, no, Dad. over the phone. I... <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah, I feel a little bit, well, I felt a lot bad about it at the time, <laughs> but it was just sort of the way things lined up and the timing of things. I, I'm, I'm not trying to defend it at all. <laughs> it was awful, but Happy ending. She just got married, I think, hey. this past weekend. So she turned out fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and bonus story, I suppose. Uh, this is completely separate. But my sophomore year of high school or college, um, there was a girl in high school who I did twice, three months each time. So total of six months. And she and I bumped into each other at the movie theater for the Hunger Games. And this was back before you could reserve seats at most theaters and before midnight screenings completely went away. And so we were at a midnight screening for the Hunger Games. And I went with friends and she showed up with her boyfriend. And this wasn't planned at all. It was just all of a sudden we bump into each other. And then because we were waiting in line for a midnight 
showing, we didn't really have a whole lot of seat choice. And so we ended up sitting together too. <laughs> and so it was just real awkward yeah. that I was with my friends and she was with her boyfriend who she ended up dating for a couple of years. And uh, here I was, the ex, sitting next to them. It was just strange. Uh, it was awkward. That's awkward. I didn't like it very much. <laughs> Which reminds me, I have a tiny but, bonus one as well, actually. Um, yeah. I also had a boyfriend in sixth grade that I only saw at school and we never did. Like, I think I hugged him twice. <laughs> like, maybe. <laughs> um, and we, you know, had a big, huge, dramatic breakup after our, like, two-week relationship. And it fell right around Halloween and I ended up trick-or-treating at his house. Um and for some reason he was there and that was mortifying to a, you know, <laughs> however old you are in sixth grade. But yeah, that's it. That's, that's about it for me. <laughs> okay. Well, everybody out there, tell us you're emotionally scarring. Yes. Air it out to the <laughs> world. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and with that, that's the end of the official 33rd episode of an American workplace. I have no idea how long this episode is going to end up being because we had some technical difficulties yeah. while recording tonight. Uh, but we we fought through them. We made it uh, so out at the other end. We'll see. <laughs> uh, contact for the show, facebook.com slash workplace pod and at workplace pod on Twitter. Uh, please consider going over to iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And if you have feedback or ideas, you can contact us, workplacepod at gmail.com. And one more time, just want to plug that survey. It is located in the show notes. It says, please open listener survey and you can also find that pinned to our tweets on twitter and you can find it in the post for this episode on facebook as well katie where can people find you online you can find me on twitter at kt lady 623 probably the best place i'm also on facebook if you want to shoot me a message at facebook.com slash katie.white best place for me at chadadada on twitter that is c-h-a-d-a-d-a-d-a also, facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And then I have my other podcast, Cinescope, where we talk about the movies we love and why we love them. You can find that where podcasts can be found and at thecinescopepodcast.com. Show notes and contact information for this show can be found at workplacepodcast.com. And that is all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 33 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 34 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season four, Survivor Man and The Deposition. Goodbye. Goodbye.